I'd like to greet you in Christ's name this morning. It's good to be here to worship with you. And God has been good to us already this morning. He's definitely present here with his Holy Spirit, and I trust that he'll continue to work. I invite you to turn to Psalm 32 for a message this morning, the 32nd Psalm. I believe it's a Psalm of David written in the out of his own personal experience. There is a real motivator out there that affects everyone, men, women, teenagers, and even fairly young children, can be a powerful motivation for change or it can be a huge drag to our psyche. It can be objective or subjective in nature, and people respond to it very differently. It is given by God to promote clean living and a clear relationship with Him, and it makes us accountable to God. God designed it that way. However, Satan uses the same motivator to bring discouragement to many people in different points in their lives. We have a record in Scripture of someone who even took his own life as a result of this emotion he experienced in his life. This emotion can bring extreme bondage to us. It can even bring physical ailment and sickness. Often it causes us to focus on our past, but it is designed by God to draw us to himself. What is it? What is this powerful phenomena that works behind the scenes? Noel Coward, he's a well-known British playwright, he and a comedian, he played a prank on ten famous men in London. He sent each one of these distinguished men the same note which read, We know what you have done. If you don't want to be exposed, leave town. Within six months, all ten men had moved out of London. I want to talk this morning about guilt. Guilt is a powerful emotion. It holds us captive and excludes us from sharing an intimate relationship with God and others. This cruel prank that this playwright played on these businessmen, exposed guilt in their lives. Fear of exposure caused each of them to move. I'd like to begin with a definition of what guilt is, and I've taken a couple from dictionary.com. The first one is an objective view of what guilt is. It says the fact or state of having committed an offense, crime, violation, or wrong, especially against moral or penal law, culpability, as in he admitted his guilt. I'd like to emphasize, first of all, that guilt is is often a fact. Um, You have committed something that is wrong and you are guilty. It is not subjective at all. It it, It has been established. If the officer pulls you over and he had his radar on and and you are clocked at at 50 miles an hour in this 35 mile an hour zone 
and assuming everything was reasonably accurate, you are guilty. It's not subjective. It is, it is a fact. You, have, you are, in fact, guilty and will more than likely be paying a fine. At least if it's me, I will. Romans 3.19 says, We know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. It is a fact that uh, the law, because it prescribes good action, and when we violate that, we become guilty. We have all, in fact, become guilty. The other type of guilt, another definition for guilt is a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, wrong, etc., whether real or imagined. You feel guilty. This is subjective. It is not necessarily a, a, a fact. You can feel guilty when, in fact, you have done nothing wrong. Uh, it is subjective in nature. It is an emotion. It's a feeling. It's an emotional response to a perception that we have. And you can have objective guilt without subjective guilt. What I'm saying is you can do something very, very wrong and not feel guilty about it. The two are not necessarily directly tied together. I, uh, early on in my work at, uh, at Southern Air, I went to work in a prison out east of here, Nottoway Correctional Center, with, a, with another gentleman, and uh, we went through security. They had a, a very, very secure entrance to get into this prison, and uh, they counted every tool that you had and inventoried everything you had. It was, a, I think, a level four security, a very secure place. Uh, people that are serving multiple life sentences are there. And uh, as we were walking down the walkway over toward the building where we were going to work, there was a man, an older elderly gentleman beside the walkway there working on some flower beds. Looked like a kindly old gentleman. Uh, looked like he was doing well. He looked, he looked happy. He was there uh, doing some gardening. And, and the gentleman I was with said, do you know what that man's in here for? And I said, no, I, I don't. He said, you know, he ran over his wife with a pickup truck. He ran over forward and then backed over a number of times. And he said, uh, his only regret to this day is that he didn't kill her. The man didn't look guilty at all. Didn't look like he was feeling sorry. He looked like he didn't feel anything. His conscience or whatever was just, you, people become so hardened that, that guilt is not necessarily something that they feel anymore. They probably did at one time. The opposite is also true. You can experience subjective guilt without objective guilt. In other words, you can experience a feeling of guilt without actually being guilty. That happens to some of us. We can, we can go around with a guilty conscience and it is not justified. It's not something that we've even actually done wrong. We can get this guilt feeling. It's called false guilt or an oversensitive conscience, maybe whatever you want to call it to where we can feel very guilty about something. People have that way of doing that to us. I know there are people that can make you feel guilty. 
And you do feel guilty, but it, it, is, it is something that, that is subjective. It's not real. Some, we, I've heard of people who, children who have grown up in an abusive home, that somehow look at that as being their fault and feel very, very guilty about what happened to them as a child. And, and it, it was not their fault. It is, it is a false guilt. And, and Satan, he likes to make us miserable, and he, he very much rejoices in this kind of false guilt, I think. And he wants us to stay there, whether the guilt is false or, or, or deserved. The feeling that we have, he, want, he loves to have us there and to, to, to be burdened down with this guilt feeling. And you know, the, the terms of long, the effects of long-term guilt are, are many on our lives. And you've all, I think, experienced some of them. You know, when you feel guilty, you, you experience, experience a loss of peace, a loss of peace in your, in your life. There's always a little bit of trouble under the surface, a tortured conscience. Loss of confidence is another thing I think that we can have is we, we, we experience uh, not so confident in our, in our relationship with people and with, with God. Uh, damaged relationships with God and others. Even health problems are, are brought on, I think, by uh, guilt. Emotional health problems and physical problems even can be generated by that. I'd like to read now our text. And if you would turn, if you're not there already, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, if you're there. I'm going to read the entire psalm. And I'm reading from the uh, NIV this morning. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I think David here is speaking from personal experience. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoicing the Lord... And be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. What is the solution to this problem of guilt? How should we treat guilt in our lives? You know, guilt and shame become a self-made prison from which we struggle to break free. And they prevent us from enjoying uh, God's presence and his joy in our lives, experiencing them. 
What is the key that will allow us to break free from our prison of guilt? I love acrostics, and you're going to see another one this morning. And the key word is guilt, G-U-I-L-T. And what we're going to do is, is go through those um, five points to the message. The first one that we're going to look at is G, and it says go to God first. When we're dealing with guilt, we need to go to God first. What is the purpose of guilt? Did God make guilt? Yes, he did. Guilt is much like, and if I'm trying to think of a word picture, it's much like pain, physical pain in our lives. When there is a problem, there should be pain. Um, and guilt is, is a pain. It's a mental pain that we experience. Um, and it calls for a response. Physically, when we experience pain, we take care of the pained item or the pained member of our bodies, and hopefully they'll be healed. Satan's purpose for guilt is to keep us away from God, to shut the door to God's presence. He wants to use the guilt to push you further and further away from God. Satan would love to do that. He wants us to do what Adam and Eve did when they experienced guilt and that they ran away and hid in the garden when God came calling in the cool of the evening. But God has designed guilt for us to understand a problem exists and that he wants us to come to him with that problem, to confess that sin to him. Guilt is something that is definitely two-sided. On the one hand, I want to break free from guilt. On the other hand, I want to make sure that guilt does its work in my life. Because it is there for a purpose. I don't want to be calloused and not experience guilt. The Holy Spirit uses guilt not to shame or condemn us for our sin, but to convict us of our sin and to show our need for God's mercy and love. The psalmist says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no guile. I think what the psalmist is saying there is that he had experienced sin in his life. He knew what it was, but that he came to God and God forgave him. And he said that man who experiences that forgiveness that working of guilt in resulting finally in forgiveness is indeed blessed. He's happy. Another psalm of David, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. I don't know if any of you are guilty this morning or feeling any guilt at all. Uh, maybe some of you are. Maybe you're all clean and don't feel that way at all. But the first response that I want to encourage this morning is if, if you 
our experience in guilt don't don't run like Adam and Eve did to the to the trees and and hide, but go to God. Go to God first. That is the purpose of guilt: is to have us to be drawn to God. The second thing that we need to do is to uncover our sin. This is probably one of the more tough things to do. I know in my own life, I, I experience when, along with guilt, I experience shame. Sam, you shouldn't have done that. It was dumb. It was stupid. It was wicked. It was not something you should do. And I experience shame. And I think the psalmist is expressing that in his in Psalm 32 here, verse three. He says, "When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long." For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. There's something about guilt that will sap us of strength. And I think he expresses it very well here in this psalm. It's like the, 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 the heat of summer. You know, you're just sweating and you're, it's just, just sapped. You just feel just sapped of strength because of this guilt that's in our you know, in your life, taking the energy away. And um, it will do that. We have to face it and we have to be willing to uncover it, to bring it to the light. A number of sins are mentioned here in the first few verses of Psalm 32, a number of different uh, definitions or words for sin. And uh, they're not all, it's not all reflected in the English language, but the first one there is transgression. It says, blessed is he whose sins, whose transgressions are forgiven. Uh, that's when we trespass against God. A transgression is when we trespass against God. When his law is there, we know it, and we trespass against it. It is, it is driven by rebellion on our part. When we know what's right, and yet we continue to go against it. That is, that's rebellion. And that's a very, very serious sin. Uh, Psalm 19 says, keep your servant also away from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of a great transgression. That's what the word transgression is. It is is a willful uh, going against what we know is right and rebellious. The second one is, is translated sin, but it is offense. It's when we miss the mark of God's holiness, when we come short of God's requirements, when we walk the wrong path instead of walking the path of righteousness. And there's a very familiar verse that speaks to that in the New Testament. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation for clarity. It says, for all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard." We fall short of God's glorious standard. That is an offense to God. The third definition of sin is iniquity or evil. It's an impurity. God's nature is holy. We know that. And, and impurity is an offense to God. You know, people say, God, how could God have created evil? God never created evil. Evil happened afterwards when what God had made was perfectly good became corrupted. It's a corrosion, it's a rot, it's a cancer. That is iniquity. And the fourth one that's mentioned there is guile. It is a deceit. It is self-deception. It is 
that which causes us to uh, cover up, perhaps. David covered up his sin for quite some time. I think it was up to a year. With We're familiar with the story of David's sin with Bathsheba. Um, he committed adultery with another man's wife. And he tried to cover it up and it resulted in murder and other terrible sins. And it was through God's mercy David was finally confronted by, by of his sin by the prophet Nathan, and then he confessed his sin. Gordon MacDonald, some of you know of him, he is, uh, I think, Walk in the Word is his name of his ministry. He's a former pastor and an author. He also carried around in his secret life the sin of adultery for quite a period of, for a period of time. And he says, I have never forgotten the loneliness of those secret carrying days. What energy you expend, what fear you experience, what prisons you make for yourself. You know, we may not be guilty of such a sin, but we may, may have other things in our lives that we need to uncover. There are sins there that, uh, sins of pride, sins of covetousness, sins, sin is sin. And if we continue to shelter that and cover it up and make it look good, we cannot experience the freedom of breaking free uh, and uh, the release from the guilt that God wants us to experience when we uncover our sin. Isaiah, when he was exposed to God's holiness, said, Woe is to me. Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And God cleansed him of his sin. I, God is very clear that we need to expose our sin in order to receive forgiveness and freedom from guilt. To whom should we confess? That's a huge subject. To whom, How much do you uncover sin? Always to God, number one. Always to God. And, uh, and others who you have impacted with your sin. Um, it's not always clear. It's, I don't think there's an always a formula of where all you should confess your sin. But you need to get it out. Those who have been impacted by your sin... Um, Need to, you need to make confession and get it out and get it cleared up. How free do you want to be? We need to be willing to uncover our sin. The third point I'd like to make this morning is to take ownership of, of our sin. I take ownership. I is the, the middle letter in sin is also in guilt. I must be willing to take ownership of my sin. I must not make excuses for my sin and blame other people. I must take ownership of my sin. Um, I need to agree with God. That's what confession is, that, that it is sinful and that it is mine. 1 John 1, 
verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar in his word. He is not in us. And God's purpose for creating guilt and making it a result of sin is so that we will come clean. Back to our text, Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Take ownership of your sin. You know, I am responsible. I can't blame someone else. You know, the, uh, the, the, we're so quick as they were in the, as they did in the Garden of Eden even to foist my guilt onto someone else. And in my understanding is I've never laid on one of those couches with a psychologist, but one of their favorite tricks to, to, re, to alleviate some of the, the subjective guilt, the, the feelings of guilt that I have is to somehow allow you to, to blame someone for them and, and to establish some other person that you can bring this on to. That you're not responsible. Uh, your life circumstance is what makes you feel this way. It's an inner battle. I need to acknowledge my culpability. Satan wants to remind us of our sin, but he wants us to feel the shame. He doesn't want us to feel the release. Satan wants to use the guilt to separate us from God, to drive us out of the loving presence of the Lord. He wants us to feel condemned. You know, Satan really doesn't have that authority to condemn us. He can't condemn us. He, he does, but he tries to, but he can't. He doesn't have that authority. Romans 8 is very clear. There is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And then verse 33 of Romans 8, it says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life and is at the right hand of the God and also interceding for us. Christ is the one who has the authority to condemn us. And he is the one who has paid for us to be cleared of that condemnation because he, he loved us so much. He took care of that. He, 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 he does condemn us. Our guilt is, is condemnation. But now as we come into Christ and, and we can receive forgiveness. And we can receive cleansing. And Satan has no authority to condemn us. It is God. It is Christ. And, and he, is, he is there to, to clean us up. And to overcome that condemnation. That guilt and that shame. Revelation 12 says they overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb is still very powerful today. It is the most powerful thing I can think of. It's just the blood that, that cleanses us from sin. It just makes us clean and pure. 
And we need to claim the blood of Christ when Satan comes with the word of condemnation. To say, you know, you sinned and you still have that sin hanging over you. No, I don't. The blood of Christ has cleansed me from that sin. I am forgiven. Uh, number four, the, the, the letter L, it says, let go of the past. I, um, I've struggled with that and in, in, in letting go and in, in, in allowing God's forgiveness to really sink into me. You know, I, I did sin, and uh, and I just just keep hitting myself over the head with that. Second um, Corinthians seven verse ten says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death." We need to receive forgiveness. It not only needs to be granted; it is freely granted but we need to receive it. You know, I've even heard of a case back in, I think it was the late 19th century, of a president who pardoned a criminal of quite a serious crime, and he said, no, I, I don't. I want to hang. So they hung him, even though he was pardoned, because he didn't receive the pardon, and that forgiveness must be received. We need to receive it. You know, the natural inclination is, and mine is, I'm going to have to somehow do some penance for my sin. I am going to have to somehow beat myself, to flagellate myself, to atone for this sin that I have committed. Let me ask you, how much does it take? What do you have to do to atone for sin? How much does it take? What kind of punishment do you have to inflict on yourself for an angry word that you shared with your wife? How much does it cost to pay for deception? What is the penalty for impurity? What about immorality? What, what does that take? What do you have to pay for that? Maybe when we made fun of someone, when we gossiped. What if what you're doing is not adequate to pay for that? Maybe we need to walk on hot coals like they do over in India, Pakistan, or someplace like that, where we have to walk on hot coals to really atone for that sin that we've done. Maybe we need to walk on our, go on our hands and knees like they do in Mexico to the shrine. Or maybe we have to do like they do in Tibet where they take three steps and then fall flat on their face. They take three more steps, fall flat on their face for miles to atone for that sin. We need to receive God's forgiveness. And I know that's a lot easier said than done. The sin is real. We've really sinned. But we need to really receive forgiveness for that sin. I've told this story before, and I, you probably have heard it numerous times, but it illustrates this a little boy visiting his grandparents and uh, was given his first slingshot. And this was great for the young fellow. And he went out into the woods and was practicing with the slingshot and hitting, trying to aim for the trees. He couldn't hit anything. 
with any consistency. He's out there practicing, and so he came back up toward the house in the backyard. He spied Grandma's duck, and just on a whim, he and he hits the duck right in the head and kills the duck. And uh, whoa, boy, oh boy, he felt terrible. And he took the old duck and hid it under the woodpile. He looks up from covering up the duck, and there's a sister up on the porch. Uh, Jimmy, he, he saw Sally, Johnny was his name, saw Sally up on the porch. Sally had chalked that away, and as Jimmy did, and, and uh, after lunch, Grandma said, let's wash the dishes, but Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? She whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandpa, Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to his grandma that he killed the duck. I know, Johnny, she said, giving him a hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I wonder how long you would let I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. We need to receive forgiveness. Satan keeps saying, remember the duck. But we've been cleansed. Finally, we need to thank God for his promises. I noticed, and I don't know if you did, that the psalm that we read as a text was began on a very somber note, perhaps almost a troubled note, and it ends with a, a, a very high note, a very upbeat um, verse 11. Let me just read the, the verse 7 to 11 again. It says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. I claim that this morning. I claim that the Lord's unfailing love surrounds me. Even when I really mess up, his unfailing love surrounds me. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. I think as we are set free from that guilt, we very much can rejoice in the Lord and his promise to forgive us and to protect us. And the freedom from guilt will affect every part of our life. Every part of our relationship that we have with people and with the Lord, it will, it just, it just, uh, you've experienced that. Uh, you, you, you can walk, you know, very well. You just the relief is just real, and and God intends it to be that way. The pain is there to bring us to God, to cause us to to turn to Him and to acknowledge our sin, 
and, and turn to Him. And then the freedom in, in, in allowing His forgiveness to work in our hearts. We are free indeed. Gloriously, marvelously free. Guilt is there, but we can break free. We go to God first, we uncover our sin, we take ownership, we let go of the past, and we thank God for His His promises. And I trust that is your experience today. If it's not, I trust that you will allow God to work that freedom from the bondage of guilt into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Shall we have a closing song, please?